the grand finale of This American Monster. Uh, meanwhile, Sundry, you and um, this this writhing ball of hell um, are like like you're locked in with this thing as you're trying to stab at it further with this harpoon. And yeah, I, I have an idea for how Sundry's confrontation with Heck can go, um, but it's it would kind of be the last card Sundry could play. If you think it could be interesting, we could. We could see how this goes, yeah. All right. So while he's wrestling with Heck, he'll be like, uh, "Listen, Heck, this this isn't your style. Um, I'm sure there's one last bargain we can come to here." And yeah, I think that the the noise you hear is just like an ear splitting, deafening uh, sound that. Uh, makes you want to pull your eyes out, but you you could you could keep going. That doesn't mean he's not. That doesn't mean you're not being listened to. That's just there's no kind of like words that are in response to what you're what's going on. I know I got something you want, and that's my soul, and uh, I'm still prepared to bargain for it. And he'll just go on. And he'll say, um, "Hell, I'll even." I'll even challenge you on uh, turf that'll give you the home field advantage. Um, I reckon. Uh, I reckon you should strip me of this uh, music talent you gave me, and then uh, you and I should have one last sing-off, winner take all. So I heard uh, Lucifer was supposed to be the uh, the head of the choir angels, but uh, maybe all this time kicking around hell, you're just a two-bit piece of shit now the response as this thing is like rolling over you um and these flames are licking at your clothes some of your clothes are themselves like sin not only singed but just uh like maybe melted to you in some ways and um you hear that deep voice just say there was never anything to you that i didn't give you son sandra will just say then you'll have no problem uh uh competing are you wholly alien to honest dealings? Trying to hurt my pride? Don't forget that pride comes before the fall. And I'll tell you, I'm way past that. Your time in the choir hasn't shined you one bit, son. You're still nothing. And that is when you hear uh, this thing rolls itself and these eyes kind of like all open. Um... And the hands on this, these wheels like kind of flex themselves and twitch in this way. And this noise that you guys all hear is something that's almost unfathomable. It's no noise that you could ever describe to anyone. It kind of cuts through you and like cuts you to the core. You hear this noise, this sound that you couldn't, you could never describe to anyone else except as the most beautiful and terrifying thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Something that just makes you um, simultaneously like cry and want to throw up at the same time. 
this noise that kind of rips through every aspect of yourself um, that you'll never be able to put your finger on and you would never be able to um, forget at any point if you lived a million lifetimes. And that's, of course, because it is like essentially the voice of an angel, fallen angel as it is. And Ash, as you're, um, as you're going through kind of this list of these different names and these different parts of words in these ancient languages um, that could combine to be similar to what a demon's name could be if this demon tempts people on these winds, when this wall of sound, uh, more like a dagger of sound, more like, like some kind of like claws in your head, something you could never describe hits you, that's when you know for sure what this what this demon's name is. Before you doubted it, now you know for sure. Sundry, go ahead and make a roll for me on that. Sure. I want to see if I want to see if uh. What am I rolling for here? Um, what do you think this would be? Uh, what role do you think would be connected with this? For a singing contest, charm. Sounds good. Make a charm roll. Uh, I got a twelve. Got a twelve. It's pretty good. All right, to give you guys some additional successes on your successometer. And then there's this, like, pulsing moment to wait for Sundry to do this. Okay. Uh, does he have his guitar? <laughs> Can one magic get out of nowhere or something like that? Yeah, we can just, we just kind of, we see him blink for a second after he shakes off what's going on. And we see this thing standing there almost in, like, wait. And then, yeah, Sundry does have a guitar with him. Um, yeah, and, like, he, I'm hoping that, you know, this is all a big delay tactic for Sundry because he's trying to, you know, I guess, like, distract Heck from the ritual or whatever. So I'm hoping that this is capitalized upon and not just squandered, given that he's ponied up his soul as the... Uh, as the, the Yeah, we're all just watching and clapping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, we're good, good. Game over. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess Sundry will like uh, turn and face heck, and they'll say, uh, uh, "I, w- I want to dedicate this song to a uh, uh, few of my fans over there. Uh, best band I've ever been a part of." And. Uh, and Walker will like see this happening, and like he kind of has like an inkling of what's about to happen, but like he's not in a position to stop it, and his eyes just go wide. singing the song he's not trying to make it good he's trying to just sort of like express his feelings in it and his feelings are just like total grief and fear uh, and when he finishes he'll just put down the guitar and he'll say I knew I could never beat you but uh, uh, I reckon I didn't need to yeah, I guess if you're trying to get, um, like, a, are you trying to do, like, the labyrinth move? Like, we're trying to get a number of successes before failures or something? Well, I got a 12. Sundry plays this song. The song sounds very bad. His main goal is just to stall. Like, 
to 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 buy to buy his friend's success with his soul. One of the costs of the ritual is supposed to be like some great price. Well, it's like hello, like here's a great price, and this can this can I think feed into that. As we see that Sundry has been like loses this competition as he's trying to give Ash the or try to get, buy this time. Um, what does it look like that we see? Um, like, uh-oh, Sundry's lost this. And this is the sacrifice. And then Ash springing into this to use this dagger to activate yet the next part of this ritual. So how does how does that look? What do we see? The chains appear around Sundry. Like his neck or arms or something like that. Sure, there we go. Buried in chains. Yeah, so to represent the 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 surrender the loss of his soul here. Yeah, we see this yeah, we see these chains whip around Sundry. Some of them are burning hot like into his like into his skin to keep with that. Like some of them seem like they're connected to parts of this wheel and he's being like pulled into this. And then Ash, you said you leap out from Ash leaps out from behind Sundry. I was sick. Oh, did I say Sundry? I meant uh, Mr. Heck, like his humanoid body. It just like cuts that, like stabs him in the back. Oh, in the in the humanoid form and not the flaming wheel. I assume they're related, right? They are. They are the same thing. They're just different exactly. representations of him. Okay. Yeah. I think it's much easier to visually, uh, you know, think of someone stabbing a humanoid in the back than a, a wheel of fiery eyes. Oh, you mean a thing with a back? Yeah, I guess you're right on that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you hear this, uh, like, part of that same noise that you had heard before as this shriek and um, this, like, further, like, like, like grinding noise in these chains. We see Sundry kind of get pulled into this, this wheel and... Uh, where Mr. Heck, his physical body is. I think it can no longer be in these like different places at these different times. It has to like pin itself to this one spot to hold on desperately as it's trying to get Jessica Lore to finish this ritual. And um, it you stab into this back that now seems to become a far more like physical, a physical form. And when you stab into him, just like I said, like fire and smoke pours out. And I think, um, I think Ashton also takes four damage from this as this like fire just shoots out at him and he turns around and his eyes are ablaze. So yeah, he lets go of Jessica Lore's hand and he still has this, uh, his hand hovering over hers above that canister. And you hear that deep voice, but mm, tinged with these sounds of like cracking and grinding noises and all this terrible sound that you can't put your finger on. And it just says, um, I crawled my way up on the bones of all the of all the others that were cast out so I could open up this gate and see this world as mine once and for all. And none of you are going to stop me. I've looked into the eye, the eyes of God itself. The four of you aren't anything at all. The last time we saw Welker, he was like he was grappling with this like version. Yes, of we should. Wife. We should hop back to we should I hop would... back to Welker when he's grappling with her, like he'd be more angry than anything else. There's no more like, oh, is she real? She's clearly not real. Be more like pissed, like he's constantly being manipulated by these fake things, like these fake emotional, like bullshit things. And just trying to like, kill her as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, that seems like a cool role to me for you to like, and I might do it a little differently, but yeah, for you to snap, the, snap out of this and get back into the, into the groove of things. 
Alright, cool roll coming right up. Got a nine. Got a nine, that's pretty good. So, um, with that, you can you can kind of snap out of this, um, but you, you see that the other folks are... Like, Sundry seems gone. And you so kind like of look... It's like Welker saw what Sundry was about to do, like, as he was, like, grappling with, like, with Julia. And, like, he knew, like, he had this inkling of what he was, like, trying to do when he started his song. And, like, maybe by the time he finishes grappling with her and, like, getting free of her, like, he's already, so he said he's gone. Like, he's just not here anymore. Yeah, I think you don't see him at this point. And you kind of just see the other two, um, like, running over to, like, standing near uh, Jessica Lauren, Mr. Heck, Ashton, um, having, like, like been like lit ablaze or like blasted with this fire um that singed like a bunch of his hair you see mr heck looking back at him eyes ablaze dark blade is yelling at jessica lore okay so like i feel like he would want to um like sort of reinforce dark blade's approach to this like if he sees that uh ashton has successfully like sort of gotten mr heck to pry- take his hand off jessica lore uh, can Walker like run in there, put his hand on her, and like try and like um, try and, like sway her to do the like do the right thing essentially? So was he able to just sort of like cast away like the vision of his wife and like then like run into this? Yeah, is that what that happens? Is it almost like yeah. evaporate away where it's like this was a vision you shake it off? Yeah, like he's just over that whole thing now. Like he knows he's not real. Like the, when he finally like, pushes her off of him after done grappling, she just. Just like dissipates, like doesn't what's come the, back. What's the him. what's the thing that makes him go like this isn't real? What is the I, one thing? I think just like rage at this point. Like he's been manipulated by these visions over and over again. He's had his family used against him so many times recently, and then watching like Sundry about to do something like selfless, and him being stuck with this like bullshit situation, like he'll just be like pissed, and like he'll cast her away, and, like and, like the same thing he said earlier, where, like this isn't real. You know, like, okay. He, like, pushes her off and she just like dissipates away. That works pretty well, especially like tying what Sundry had done into this and pushing that off. Um, yeah, and we see Welker try to run up to grab at the canister, we said? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you got a partial success on the cool roll from earlier. So I think one of the things that happens is um, Welker, goes to, Welker goes to grab at this thing and um, I think at least his hand that initially reaches forward to it, heck, with his free hand, grabs Welker's wrist and just burns him, like, terribly. Okay. So as he's as he's going to grab this thing. So that's four of this magical fire damage. Can any of that be soaked through, um, like, the monstrous soaking situations? I thought you were also extra extra weak to fire damage. Oh, you're right, actually. Yes. Um, so I have sort of an unnatural ability to take less damage and an unnatural ability to take more from fire. Should I just put all those into account? Sure. I guess it kind of comes out at the same then. So four. Okay. And so, yeah, so he just, like, terribly burns your hand, where I think it's almost like um, Welker is standing there... And um, he's a bad guy. This is the time where bad guys go uh, into their big rant. Why Ooh, would we not? The monologue. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he just says like, "Oh, um, maybe he's burn. He's like, uh, like burning into your hand, and there's just this white hot flame on your on your hand to the point where like 
you can feel that he's like touching parts of the bone in your wrist. And um, he just says, just made of flesh and bone. Flesh and bone on this world is nothing. I've seen the bones of my brothers and sisters fall out of the sky down onto this earth, down before any of you, any of you sick creatures crawled up out of the mud and the shit. And I'd tie their bones together to bring myself back up here any second. And you realize, like, you can make the connection that these nodes are the places where these angels, like, fell to Earth. Makes sense. It's like in this, Florida. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're they're all they're all over the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're just we're just in this one place. I'd just rather be where it's sunny. Um, <laughs> well, I came here for tax purposes. Um, threw a dart at a map and it landed in a trash can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. You're just another specimen to me. And he'll like, take his other hand and like try and like grab the canister. Okay, are you pushing through with that same hand? Because that oh, could kind of be, be interesting. That'd be even cooler. Like he like okay. tries to stop him with like by inflicting horrible pain, and just like go- keeps going anyway. Sure, with like the the skin are like burning and like melting off of his hand. Mm-hmm. The skeleton uh, grabs it. Yeah. All right. Hey, got I, a, I don't mind it. Oh, baby. I got a 15. 15's pretty damn good. All right. So, we've got Welker reaches his hand. His hand is absolutely burned. Like it oh, it basically is a skeleton like charred destroyed hand that reaches onto this thing and is touching with Jessica Lore's hand onto this canister. Um and I will tell you guys this. You have one more success to get to stop this ritual. But then after that, there's going to be a sacrifice that's necessary. And I don't know if this matters at all, but I have advanced that cool move. But uh... Maybe this does... When your hand touches Jessica Lore's Welker, um, you see for a second, like, she stops and she looks down and you could tell she had not been seeing what was going on in the same way that you guys are seeing this. Like, in to her, something different was happening here. This takes her completely aback. Or what's what's the final push that you guys make to stop this ritual? As even Jessica Laura's like, wait, hold on. You still have your soul left, Jessica. Don't give it up to Mr. Heck. God knows what'll do with it. You scoured the world for knowledge. Your ambition brought you everywhere now here you are how far you've sunk Jessica so let's have Darkblade why don't you go ahead and make another charm roll here I got a 13 I rolled alright that'll yeah. do yeah Jessica Lord just says like no this isn't this isn't what was supposed to happen at all and uh, what's the thing that you say that like really sticks in her head that she she's like like I don't want any part of this what would your mother think, Jessica? <laughs> <laughs> then we have a vision of her mother, and we have to convince yeah. her. Yeah, exactly. Behind this ambitious woman was a hardworking mother who did everything she could to support all of the tuition fees to make sure her daughter could get uh, college preparatory classes and testing and, you know... This, this selfless woman, all she did, she would go, her favorite part of her routine would be to go shopping at 
at the discount grocery store. She'd so you- see her friends there, and she would brag about her daughter and the nice men that she's meeting. And- I, for one, am glad that a dark blade charisma roll is how we round out the final bag. The final of these, <laughs> the final frontier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drop some incel wisdom on us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I thought we know that, that that part of Dark Blade is um, no longer. Now he just guilts people about their mothers. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, so I think guilt is so only weapon. If you if you bring up all these other people, I think there is an aspect of Jessica Lore who, to her, she was doing this not only to understand all of this, but because she thought that all of this could help people. That she was the one who could uncode these mysteries and. While it was like this tremendous amount of hubris that I can control all of this, I understand it, and I can help all these people. When she realizes this will not help anybody at all, and I have been duped, she shuts. She totally shuts down about this thing and like backs off of it completely. So now this ritual has essentially been stopped. Canceled. Dot dot dot. For now is the problem, but Mr. Heck is still here, and the banishing of him will require you guys to do some kind of ritual of your own, and actually stopping this from just happening when he just drags another different person in here. Um, after he, of course, burns you guys to death. Um, like, so the last step of this ritual you know is going to require, you've got his name, you've had the time in here, because time in here doesn't mean anything. You could have been in here for millennia. Um, And now you just have to make a sacrifice. Sundry's made a sacrifice, but we specifically learned it has to be the sacrifice of more than just one of you. Through the connection of these ley lines, Welker, as you're touching this, and even as the um, Darkblade and Ash, and I guess Jessica Laura as well, are nearby, they can feel this connection, and um, they could feel that uh, that while this is breaking, this node, this activated node, the goal was for Mr. Heck to break through, to use this power to break through into hell and essentially create a gate that he could pull himself out of like fully rather than be just um, like exist in this um, like lesser form while on earth um, and really get out of hell. Um, You feel that there's another barrier that um, exists within the world itself. And that barrier, Ash, I think you can connect it to stories you had read in ancient tomes about how most most of mankind can't fathom that these monsters exist, not only because the things in the night scare them, but because there seems to be something between a sane, normal man and um, these dark forces that seem to keep them separated almost like and people maybe in early early alchemical terms are comparing them with like magnetic things or different charged aspects that that like bounce off of each other where um there aren't that many interactions between regular people and these incredibly dark forces in part because they seem to be pushed away and it also is why most people can't fathom that those things are real And one of the things that you feel that you could sacrifice is 
essentially to block off and further banish Mr. Heck. Maybe you can kind of like pull some of that energy or pull all of that energy even to kind of push him further down into hell and seal him there. That's the deal. Like the thing that you give up and we see Mr. Heck is, um, is banished, is being banished, like pressed back into hell and like sealed up um, for time um, in the foreseeable, sealed up in hell, uh, banished from this plane of existence. And, um, what does that look like? At first, maybe like the, the creature with many eyes is sucked back into Mr. Heck. That huge kind of wheel demonic presence kind of like hovering around him as this was going on and it seems to seemingly like shrinks and shrinks and shrinks to the point of uh, where that like dagger is in his back and he just kind of um, he kind of reaches for it and he pulls the thing out and um, maybe like like melts it in his hand um, and says like oh what do he just say to you like um I crawled my way out of hell. You think I can't get out of this? We see like this, this that wound in his back, just smoke is pouring out of it. And um, I think it just, um, oh, we had seen him like eat one of these beetles, the dag beetles. And I think we just see like a bunch of the, like the beetles like are almost on fire and kind of like crawl and eat some of his body. Um, and, uh, just kind of themselves burn up. As you guys know, like, well, this guy is gone from this plane. This canister that Welker's holding in this hand that is absolutely, like, destroyed. Um, this canister stops glowing. And just falls to the ground as, like, a big useless lead cylinder. Yeah, are you guys just ba- back in this garage? Are you outside of the DMV? Are you just in the middle of the DMV? It's the middle of the day. I like being in the garage. Like, the smaller the area, the more, like, jarring it'll be. Sure. It's this small, like, the equivalent of just a one or two car garage that they would normally keep something in. Yeah, I love the idea that, like... Probably a car. The world was saved from hell in this tiny little garage. So the four of you are standing there, Welker, Ash, Darkblade, and Jessica Lore, hmm. standing there in this tiny thing, this tiny garage with this non, this just big bank tube sized lead cylinder. Sundry's in the terminus and um, he gets separated from the group. And he's walking down this hallway, and in the distance, he hears Sundry can hear that that faint, angelic, demonic singing, and he's sort of following it. And uh, as it gets louder, maybe he just like takes a misstep and he's falling, uh, and he falls into this pit. Imagine if in the Matrix, whenever they're in that those like white voids, rather than a white void, it was um, kind of like an exploded Technicolor version of the. Uh, I shouldn't say Technicolor, an exploded psychedelic version of like a 
image of a galaxy. If you've seen the movie Mandy, think a lot of that kind of color scheme of like, this is really frightening, though it's bright colored. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, so he's walking around in that, and then, no, he falls into like a pit, and he's falling for a long time, and as he's falling, this this music or this song is getting louder and louder and louder. Um, and by the time he lands, like, he's now aware, like, he's in hell. And uh, he's aware of that because the song has reached, like, a fever pitch at this point. But in addition, he's, like, freezing and boiling at the same time. He's in intense pain. He, he tries to scream, but, like, no one can hear him. You know, he tries to... Um, put out the fire but it won't go out while he's down there he knows like he has to be there in order to anchor this like demon that's in there with him and at some point uh, maybe he, he hears his friends calling out to him trying to call him back and he just um, essentially like hangs up the phone closes the channel like does whatever he can to to get away from that because um, he knows he has to stay there in order to keep fighting Mr. Heck but also he knows that if he talks to them too long he'll be tempted to give up Sad news regarding local country music sensation Wade Hammond, known to his fans and detractors as Sundry Charms. Charms' passing was disclosed by the Palmetto City Police Department, and while exact details are not known as of this taping, sources close to Charms say that he died of natural causes. Sundry enjoyed commercial success as a one-hit wonder for his smash single New Town Lane, but that success was overshadowed by controversy for his possible involvement in the tragic death of his wife. He was initially convicted of that crime, but that conviction was later overturned on appeal. Funeral services will be held Sunday, where he'll be buried next to his wife at the Drayfield Cemetery. Mm. You know, Shane, I always forget that Sundry Charms was from right next door in Drayfield. It really makes you think, doesn't it? In more music-related local news, our very own Willard High Marching Band... The Wildcats! <laughs> the Willard High Marching Band will be going to the National Marching Band and Color Guard Championship in Brunswick, Georgia. Go Wildcats! Go Wildcats! Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Gotta love those Wildcats. If we're going with the idea that we start at a funeral, uh, the Dreefield Cemetery... Uh, give us give me, give me a few details everybody give me a detail maybe about what this Dreefield Cemetery looks like can we all describe how really shitty it is go for it what's what's a shitty element of the Dreefield Cemetery because it's it's out in the country it's um, is it soon after Sundry's disappearance I assume it is right yes so it's uh, not as hot and gross <laughs> as it usually would be. But Sorry, it, I, I, was, I was thinking... <laughs> I was thinking there'd be a big Confederate tomb there, but I don't think that that would play well. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there probably would be, yeah. Maybe well, it was yeah. a Confederate tomb, but they, like, redid the bronze and made it just an advertisement for a per- local personal injury attorney. Like, <laughs> that's something the, That's really... the hell of a thing to do to actual graves. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's Morgan, it's John Morgan. Like, mm-hmm. they've just changed the guy on the horse and, like, kind of just chiseled it out so that it's, like, John Morgan. And it says, like, Morgan, 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 all around the... You couldn't chisel no. that out. John Morgan's face is so kind of chunky. You'd have to add on. Yeah, you're right. You can't chisel that. Yeah. yeah. We see this kind of cavalcade of cars coming through this uh, funeral funeral or uh, this funereal procession coming into this big kind of country cemetery. And there's normal tombstones. There's a few um, kind of bigger crypts and that kind of stuff. I had one uh, idea for, for a potential bigger crypt. Yeah, go for it. So I think it'd be funny if like Sundry's not even the most famous country music star that's buried in that cemetery. And so like Jimmy Dean or like some some random country like music star is also buried in Drewfield. Yeah, there's a there's a statue of an angel holding an acoustic guitar, like off in the dis like like that we we pass by and we pan down to see it and it's not Sundry's name on there at all. <laughs> I like that. What, what else do we see that, uh, again, uh, as Lee said, it just looks real shitty? Maybe a lot of the graves are just unmarked. That'd be thematically appropriate, too. Um, yeah, if I mean... Just, uh, I could... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, no, I don't have anything specific. What do you got? I was going to say, if, if we're trying to um, drive home how shitty it is, maybe um, there's like a bunch of graves that just have like flowers that are just outrageously dead, like they're like beyond the point of like brown and fading. They're just like almost like deteriorating like flower powder over them. But maybe before the cavalcade of cards gets there, there's like a, um, a really old groundskeeper who's trying to shoo away some teenagers who are like sitting on some of the graves and just smoking. Yeah, there you go. There's somebody like a kid smoking a joint and it's some groundskeeper like, get out of here, you kids. Oh, these like goth kids are making out. Yeah. In the um. Yeah, cool. So we see that kind of. Uh, then we see this this procession kind of pull in as this groundskeeper shooing away these goth kids that are trying to make out and smoke cigarettes, uh, in this in this graveyard, and. Um. We see a lot of these cars park, and. We see several car doors open, and of course, out of each of these, we see Mr. Welker, Ash Green, and Herbert Darkblade 69 Mock. And they're all at the funeral. Any other um, NPCs that we see kind of get out of the cars here? Sundry, you think? Or anybody, I guess, really? Uh, Roberta Hellinger could be there. Um, Winters. Um, well, I don't know if Winters want to associate with us or not, but he's a possibility. No one else from Walker's side that I can... Maybe, well, yeah, no one from Laurel Corp would be there. Um, Herbert's family would be there. Herbert's whole family. <laughs> yeah. Brian and, uh, and, and his wife and children. Oh, Lurleen and, uh... Yeah. Oh, yes! Lurleen Elwood and Virgil Sutherland. Yeah. yeah. They definitely have to be there. Okay. 
Then his uh the sister or the abbess or whatever that was. Well, she's probably oh, yeah. the remarks. Yeah, that makes sense. For officiating or whatever it is called. So we see um Oh what about Gilman, Gilman hiding behind a tree? Yeah, hmm. Gilman hiding behind a tree. Um <laughs> I I actually love that. That's awesome. That wouldn't be like, too crazy. He's like, he's like Sony Charms, my greatest enemy, perhaps my only friend. <laughs> my my favorite lover. The, um, he just dumps like a water bottle on his head. Yeah, yeah. Just eats, just eats a handful of his own eggs. No, like, I think you know whatever throws his own eggs into the grave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what would be the classy way to do that would just There's... be to have a shot that's far off, where in the very the extreme foreground is like a pond, and we're watching you guys come up to the funeral, and we just see bubbles come up from the pond, as oh, in yeah. like oh something's under there watching as opposed to like yeah. a guy in a gillman suit being like ha ha and mother eliza formerly sisterly sister eliza now mother eliza is kind of presiding over this funeral and she says like like when we can hear god in the wind we can hear god in the waves and normally we would rest one of our brothers or sisters into the soil or cast them into the waves, or scatter them about. But in a way, the brother we come to recognize, to mourn, to celebrate here, in some ways, he's met the Lord almost in a truer form, in that not just committed to the sea or to the earth, He's committed himself to the Lord, perhaps as directly as he can. We all seek that shining light. We all seek those shores to be with the Lord. We seek the shores of heaven. And on the way, there are choppy seas for all of us. And I see, we, we see that she's like crying and then we kind of cut to some of the different characters. So who's who's the first person oh. we cut to? Uh, Austin, could, could I... Uh, could I? Um, could you uh, tell me that all of this is terrible and we should start over again? Yeah, can we start from the top? No, can I wedge something in there beforehand? Uh, sure. I just wanted to describe how Ash looks, I guess, when he comes out of this car. Because mm-hmm. I think that could be interesting. I think he's wearing, like, a very well-tailored, like, black suit. He still has these, like, glasses on because he's hiding his, like, missing eye. But um, in, like a like, a an actual salon cut, like haircut, you know, to really contrast when you first saw him, I think as the intern with just like the suit that barely fit him, it was like way too big from like, you know, the discount rack or something. And it's like, Oh, Ash has really changed. Hasn't he? Maybe he's wearing like, um, like those rings still too, that we had Mirzad. Oh, maybe, uh, I think, I don't think any of our listeners saw, but Mirzad always had like a goatee. Maybe, um, Ash (laughs) is starting to grow goatee as best he can now too. But he looks, in contrast to when we first saw him, like way different. Sure. Does well, he similarly, have, does he have his sword or the harpoon on it? He might bring the harpoon, like maybe a like stash or something. Maybe when we see it later, we'll like, oh, that's what he was hiding, wasn't it? I thought he was happy to see me. So, what do the what do the other uh, PCs look like at this at this funeral? I guess this is that is that is important as we like flit to each of you guys as you're getting out of the cars. 
Welker looks better than anyone's seen him in a very long time. Like he he doesn't have this pallor that uh, no one knew until relatively recently it was because he was literally dead. Um, he's uh, he's like got color back in his skin. He's like dressed very well. Um, his hair is like done proper. Um, he's like uh, like bodily like he, he looks sad and all, but he looks very healthy. Um, how about Darkblade? How's Darkblade looking? I assume he has a hat. I assume he's chugging down some kind of energy drink. We talking steez, balls. Uh, what are we talking? Oh yeah. Um, well yeah. Or has no he long- cha- or has he changed? He's no longer that kind of man. He's no longer um, drinking the monster energy drinks or any of those. Uh, he's not drinking gamer drinks anymore. He's got. Uh, Oh man, is it too much to give him an unsweet tea with lemon in it? That's fine. I, lo- I love it. All right. So yeah, and he's got his Chick-fil, you know, his ranch dipping sauces also. Like that's what he's got on his fingers though. He's like, he looks. Oh, that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna look so suave. He's got this unsweet tea with a lemon in it. He like puts it back down. He um he has the white stetson, and um he's he's walking out. Um, he's got like a, a gray suit on and he rubs his hand across it and just like these white streaks of ranch um, are just like left on the Stetson and um, he uh, throws a bottle you know, he has like a bag of Bojangles you know that you see left in a little dumpster behind him and uh, yeah he, he looks he looks a lot better than he used to he looks a little leaner he looks, um, but he, he looks, um, he, he overall, if you, if you look in his face, I think that he's, he, he has like uh, a confidence now that he didn't have before. All right, cool. So we hear, um, then we hear now mother Eliza's, uh, kind of introduction at this funeral or like opening statements at this funeral. And then we can kind of click to flash to each of the uh, each of the PCs to kind of hear their shtick. So who who goes first? This is the short term for Welker. Like here's what happened in the immediate aftermath of the terminus. Uh, the following morning at Lure headquarters, the halls are quiet and tense. All the scientists, the guards, the consultants, the regular office Joes, they know that things aren't okay, but no one has the full picture. Welker bursts in, looking just as bedraggled as he did the night before, uh, though still hardier than when he was a walking corpse. Half the people in the office know he's not supposed to be there, but no one feels confident enough to stop him. The documents in his hand, freshly signed by Jessica Lohr, state without any ambiguity that he is the new CEO of Lorecore. What's the change of focus we see Chase Welker put the company through after he's kind of taken things over? Um, so, in sort of the medium term, his goal is to basically turn Lorecorp into what it was supposed to be, uh, which is a uh, a shadowy, extra-legal megacorp meddling in the supernatural for good. So, uh, he's like, he wants to like sort of renew like, the potential of the company, but having like rested or convinced Jessica Lord like give it up to him um, like he, he he's hoping that being at the helm will make that actual possibility 
Um, so his first uh, order of business would be to sort of do damage control on the Palm City event. Um, and that's going to be like a big, like, that take up a huge amount of time. And then the fact that the world is now sort of subject to all these new things because of the veil being sort of degraded, Lorecorp's going to have way more to work with and like a much more important job. Yeah, I like that. The idea that the Lore Corporation, all of this shit that it's done, it can now do this in still maybe a shadowy way, but not as shadowy, and that it can focus on the good, and that they have a um, they have a head start on a lot of their competitors because of this stuff that they've been doing. Yeah, here, like so, this is what I saw happening like in the ensuing months. Uh, Lil Court comes out with a new commercial and like you can like see like a, a TV playing it in like the background of his offices. Um, it's a product commercial. It's the latest and greatest in dog collars. It sports a retractable leash and custom engraved tags and it's made of over 70% cold iron because your beloved pet deserves the finest in fey folk and witch repellent technology. Lorcorp, a name you can trust. And so like they've got all these like sort of general goods but now sort of tailored towards a world that needs things that we would consider supernatural there's an assistant who's like oh mr walker you're male and they they give you all this stuff and it's the usual usual like reports and this and that and this and that and then also there's like a personalized handwritten letter from sundry charms yeah and it's like you can tell from just the outside of it like this was mailed before like the night of the terminus or the day mm-hmm. of the terminus or whatever uh and so you you open it and you see Sundry's will in there, um, and you see that you're listed as executor. But then you also see this note, Chase. Uh, I'd hope to leave you um, all of my wealth to help you uh, build and rebuild your family. But uh, I squandered that on our on our adventures, and so uh, I'm afraid all I can leave you is. Uh, classic truck of mine that I never told anyone about because I didn't want to get ruined by our day job. Uh, I want to tell you, I, I found f- friendship and family in you uh, that I never deserved uh, alongside you and our crew. And, uh, you know, this truck is the one thing I kept for myself. Now it's yours. Uh, don't let Herbert drive it. Turning to more serious matters, uh, I'm hoping for you to uh, do a few things for me now that I'm gone. Um, I figured our mission was a one-way trip and uh, I have a few loose ends I'd hope you uh, help me tie up and uh, I got one loose end of my own and that's uh, to forgive you and whatever part you played in my wife's death Uh, I told you I understand Uh, you helped me make it right and uh, I just want to set you free of that Uh, so thank you Chase and um, maybe we'll meet again one day. So then he'll have like listed out a couple things for Chase to do. I'm I'm just gonna tell you guys them, and then we can you guys can sort of do them in in whatever way you want. Number one, Chase, go fuck yourself for killing my wife. <laughs> no, so the one personal, so yeah, so I'd like Chase to deliver the the white Stetson. Uh, to Darkblade along with a message and um, his harpooned Ash along with a message. Uh, 
who's another NPC that we see in the in the at the funeral, like listening to Mother Eliza? Well, let me just toss this in here now. One of the only other parts I had from mine was that Roberta Hellinger gets uh, joins Lorecorp as the um, in the client outreach head of the client outreach division. Like she finds other people who are sort of in her position, and like she now okay. works with the company. Sure. So we see Roberta Hellinger. She's in a um, like a kind of simple black. Um, it's like a suit, like a lady's blazer, pantsuit situation, and she's kind of nodding along, listening and looking around herself. She's used to the heat of Dreefield and like this kind of stuff. She's from this area. This isn't anything new to her. And um, yeah, then we cut over to Ash. I think Ash is kind of a. This is sometime after the uh, terminus. Maybe I assume maybe even before the. Uh, actually, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter what the time is, but um, he's kind of sneaking around like a war court building, just like a one of the office, not like a overly special one, and um, just goes into. I think what used to be Marzad's office, one of his main offices, I guess. And he's kind of looking around this office and um, looks around. And then I think maybe in like a drawer or something like, oh, like a desk drawer, he, he like picks out the set of keys and he's like, just pockets it and leaves. And it might be interesting too, especially after hearing a uh, kind of Mr. Wilkers thing. Like he's a, uh, now the CEO perhaps uh, at this time, who knows? But um, maybe there's some guards like when he's uh, Ash is leaving with these set of keys of Merzad's. Maybe there's like some security guards, maybe even Mr. Welker himself or someone is just like, no, just let him go. And he gets out with that. I like that. So there's some guards who are like, uh, Mr. Green, I'm going to need to see your um, your ID card to make sure that you're cleared for taking these items and Welker comes in and just says, Mr. Green, I don't see Mr. Green. He was never here. Yeah. And that guard just is like, okay. It goes in some like warehouse of like, not quite Indiana Jones style, but you know, like all these like artifacts at the, the circle of a tear, all the artifacts that Mirzad had kind of a, at least one place that he kind of stowed them. We see this warehouse that has all these cataloged, crates and boxes and that kind of stuff and you're looking like it's like almost like this university library but in this very old school way where you can kind of see everything almost at once and we see ash looking over all these items like kind of wondering and like oh man there's so much here yeah exactly okay so then we hop back to the funeral and uh, Darkblade. What's the experience when we leave Terminus? Is it a fall? Is it so? Uh... You guys af- at at the end of the last session, after mm-hmm. the after you guys after the climax, you guys kind of just wake up. Mm-hmm. You can tell me about that. Um, do you guys just wake up as if from a slumber? Is it a um? Is it just a weird dream fade in or fade out where you're like, whoa, wait, what? Um, 
I think that we, if we fall, no, I think that we have to experience, maybe we are falling and it's our souls falling back into our bodies, except as we're falling down, Sundry isn't following, he's not coming down with us. And we, we re-enter our bodies and we're back where we started and we, we all move and stir, except Sundry doesn't. And um, uh, it, it makes it even more clear that he, you know, his soul is just claimed. What do you guys think um, about us coming to together? Because the one thing I don't like about a dream or anything where we just wake up is if we're separated, where's the con- like the consequence seems to be a little more remote from this epic battle. Well, you guys all are at least coming to whatever coming to means at the same time in the same place. Okay. Yeah. So we, we come to, and um, it's clear that Sundry isn't stirring. Well, he's not uh, there at all. There's no, there's no, he's not stirring. It's that he, he's not he there. Body. No, his body's not there. Okay. All right. Um, it's just, oh, it's gosh. just Mr. Welker, Ash, Darkblade, and Jessica Lore. Okay. All right. So Herbert comes to, he, um, there's no sound. It's just him and his companions looking each other in the eye. The horror of it after this beautiful sound and beautiful music, it's just, this is just silent. Like we can't even barely hear each other than muffled, um, cries. Um, he touches the ground where he believes Sundry would have should have been laying and um, he mouths some words he um, walks away his face is blank and he goes to the well um, he remembers the words of um, that elder um, who he had fought who remarked on his his connection to the deep and his people all having been lost underground and that he belonged under there. And he remembers the words and he goes down to the well. Um, it, it's not a far drop. It's just a few feet down, maybe 20 feet. Um, doesn't seem far to him. But he finds that he can squeeze himself farther and farther through the cracks and crevices and he's making more and more progress uh, the light becomes dimmer and dimmer the darkness grows and envelops him and he would normally feel fear now and he feels some remnant of it but he wants to get that song out of his head and he dearly misses uh, his friend Sundry and he reflects upon all of the harm that he's brought to others uh, the concussion, the concussive noise of the shotgun blast. You can hear that when he's hurt people himself. All of that gets further away from him the deeper into the darkness he goes. Um, he starts to feel that he's fallen so deep that he'll never be found and that he perhaps is dead. He can't even hear his own thoughts and perhaps he's going mad. Um, but in this madness he hears the wails of a friend Sundry 
and he can kind of hear just echoes of it and he reaches out and he finds it as he focuses on and, and listens closely he he hones in on the the cries of sundry the wails and his torment deep in hell um, this was a sacrifice that is eternal and he feels sundry's strength though even throughout all of this and he feels reassured that even during this sundry is still fighting somehow that brings him peace he then reaches up and he feels he feels some warmth some heat in this cold and he feels what turns out to be his mother's love he reaches out and he feels connected to all of those that he loves and who have cared for him and he realized this is how everything's connected everything is truly connected and he sees it and knows it now more than ever um, a white light leads him out he follows this light and he feels the the will to live return to him and as he follows the light uh, he believes that what he sees is a cowboy hat or something like that he follows the light he finds himself suddenly submerged underwater in blue hues surrounding him and he struggles to get further and further up and his air just he stops even swimming because he's been swimming so far up that his ears are about to pop his hands are reaching in front of him until a hand grabs his forearm and pulls him out he's retching and coughing he's he's gaunt he's lost weight he's got deep circles under his eyes and he, he looks into the face of son of uh, mr welker um they embrace uh Herbert is sobbing and um, uh, as he's being there, you pan to a, a shot of him sitting in the bed of a pickup truck. What was the vehicle that Sundry left to Mr. Walker? It's like a 1979 Ford pickup. Uh-huh. So the pans to Herbert sitting in the bed of the pickup truck drinking water maybe some Pedialyte and um, Mr. Welker walks up to him he hands him uh, Stetson and would this be an appropriate time for him to read Sundry's Last Will and Testament yeah I'll just post it here it might be better if Welker passes it on and rather than handing him the Stetson he hands him a box okay yeah, like that. So he hands him a box, and this is the kind of box that uh, I don't want to say it's a hat box, but it's a it's the kind of box that's maybe like a foot and a half wide by a foot and a half wide square and tall. So it's this big cube, this big awkward cube, and the box itself is very very light. And Walker has this, and he can hand it to Darkblade. I like it. And um, the inscription could be read by Sundry. 
Yeah. So does does when Darkblade opens it, maybe there's a card in there. Yeah. And it says. Yeah. It just says Herbert. Uh, you always brought me joy, and I hope this might help you bring that same joy to others. And Herbert's eyes water a bit as he reads it. Um, he opens the box gently, you know, even in his trembling hands. The lightness of the box is really highlighted by how much he's trembling and how much it's shaking in his hands, and he opens it. Um, he grins and smiles, and he puts the hat on. There's going to be a uh, scene of Darkblade. Um, he, on the way, he, he comes into a Bojangles, right? He's in the same suit and hat as he's wearing at the at the uh, um, funeral, sands the ranch dressing. And he he's ordering, and his ears kind of perk up, and he hears this guy saying, this will change your life. You're going to make millions. It's only a matter of how much you want it. And you want it, don't you? And this guy, it pans over to this guy who's in a well-dressed suit with a nice watch on, appears to be a nice watch. And, and he's just leaning over this small table and over this young guy. And the young guy's like nervously nodding his head. And it's like, all you have to do is you need to buy 10 cases right now. I can give you, normally these sell for, um, God damn it, I'm bad at math. Let's just say the total price of 10 cases would normally be $3,000. I'm gonna give you a great deal right now. And this will just be $2,000 cause I believe in you kid. I know you're gonna do a great job. He saunters over after he's made his order and he pulls up a chair and he's just, they both kind of look at him and he says I've got a better idea how about I give you kid I give you $1500 and you don't talk to this guy again and um, the guy's like what the hell is wrong with you can't you see we're having a private conversation over here? And um, uh, Dark Blade gives the kid his card and he says, give me a call. Um, this guy is totally full of shit and you shouldn't listen to another word he has to say. There's real work that needs to be done right now by good people like you and I know exactly where to put you. Um, but greedy devils like this are only going to make you dig your own grave. I guess like Welker's there uh, at some point uh, handling um, Ash. uh, He's not, it's not wrapped up in anything. It's a giant harpoon, so (laughs) there's no way around it. The uh, Amazon harpoon gift box bag. Yeah, so he hands you like this giant, dirty, like probably like still has blood on it, like harpoon. Uh, and I'm guessing he, he says something effective like, uh, "Sundry want 
wanted you to have this. He, he left you this letter. Um, and you open it, and it says, uh, Ash, uh, I always saw you as a son I never had. Uh, I know this disturbed you, so I shut up about it. But uh, man to man, I just want you to know how proud of you I am and uh, how proud I am of uh, the man you turned into. I know the world's in safe hands with you protecting her, and I hope this helps. Okay, great. That that also helped me because, okay, I figured it out. So maybe it is, um, so we have that, like I was saying before, um, just to repeat myself, the intercut of like him talking to these various people at the funeral. And then we cut to like um, years later, perhaps. And it's the scene of this, uh, like a desk or something. And he's unwrapping and he unwraps this, uh, his like special sword that he has and that special like silver dagger. And he unwraps, I'm thinking of like a, a silk or like a towel or something, you know, unwraps this harpoon too. It's like on the same level of these other two things that kind of defined him as this monster hunter or whatever it was and he takes like a moment to kind of look at these three things on the this desk before him and he's probably older too you can maybe tell in some way he has the full goatee now that he was just starting to grow at the funeral and he's like mm-hmm. so he looks up salt from these three solemn items of his his these weapons and, and there's several it, people it, in a room with him okay. who knows how big it is we don't care so he's, Obviously. he's oh, is he just just so I can get an idea of this? He's alone in a room with this stuff. No, going through it. In fact, no, because now we reveal that there are several people there with him, and uh, it's many of these NPCs that we had seen. And he's he just says, um, "All right, now um, the circle of Etir is meeting. Let's call this official meeting to order. Tell me what." What dangers do we face today? There's a lady who's very, very pretty. Like, um, there's there's some sleazy guy who's like, you could be a model. You could be the next Cindy Crawford. You could be the next face on every single, not only, uh, not every single billboard you could be selling every tube of lipstick and every bottle of perfume and um like to sell it he's like he just puts his hand on her thigh and it's like oh we know this guy's a creep like like right like right away where it's not even like sell me your soul but it's like hey fuck me and i'll give you this deal to be a model we see a white stetson placed on the table and this guy um, who has like kind of a thinning mustache into a into a goatee, but barely. He looks up and he goes, "Huh." Dirkblood says, "Lady, you don't have to sell your your skin or your soul to get what you're looking for." And, lady, I think you know where this path is going to take you, and you don't want to go there. You've got a lot to offer. You certainly do but you don't need to take the quick path. Let me show you. And she'll take his hand, like, very hesitantly, and then he'll look on the table and, like, take one of the chicken tenders and, like, dunk it into the ranch and eat it and then walk off with her. I love it. Fuck yeah, that's good. (laughs) Okay, love it. 
Welker over the next few years works to uh, make Lorecorp what it could have been, especially in a world where it's even more necessary now than it was before. Uh, and here's what happens uh, for his like long final thing. It might lack the modern amenities, but the radio works just fine. The news reporter's perfect diction and steady tone never falter as he relays the latest. Mild weather expected for the rest of the week. A murder of harpies has been spotted east of Ocala. Chase Welker has stepped down after three years as CEO of Lorcor. Election campaigns are heating up. Supernatural policy is expected to define the race. The Dow is up half a percent. Welker's heard enough. He switches to a local music station as the old Ford truck grumbles around the last corner of the trip. He stops in front of a modest home on a quiet street. He gathers himself to step out, to walk, to knock. The house door flies open and Kyle bounds toward him, looking taller by half and twice as fast as he remembered him. All his words are forgotten as he scoops him up on the driveway. Tara follows, hesitant and silent, but the tears in her eyes speak plainly. Julia appears in the doorway. The thin line of her mouth betrays nothing as she walks composedly down the drive. Children part, looking as uns uncertain as their father. She and Welker face each other for a moment, then two, and three. Last, her lip trembles and curls into the smallest of smiles as she embraces him, cautious and light. Welker doesn't want it to end, ever, but she pushes away just far enough to look into his eyes and ask, Is it over? Before Welker can speak, a different voice fills the space. Familiar, pleasant drawl drifts lazily by, wrapped around the twanging chords pouring from the car radio. Welker turns toward the old pickup, knowing there's nothing there to find. He stares a while anyhow. Uh, sometime later than that uh, uh, meeting we just saw a second ago, last time we were with Ash, you know? and uh, Or maybe it was just like a regular office, doesn't matter. Um, and he's going through this like big ancient tome or something, and um, he stops on like a certain page and is just like considering it for a second, we don't see what it is yet. And um, it looks over and it's probably in like, you know, like fake Hollywood, old English or something, so it's like spelled slightly different, but we can read it very easily still, and it's just like methods of resurrection and he looks over and he uh sees this like i don't know like a picture or something of uh of reagan so then we hop back to the funeral and we see uh, now again Mother Eliza say, you know, we've sailed these seas for a long time, and now it's time for us to come into port. And all we can hope is that that port be calm, free of storms of clear skies and with those who've loved us. Mm 
do we all meet after the funeral at the uh the pancake place that we always met or something that oh. could be it like the shawarma scene at the end of avengers yeah yeah we're all putting <laughs> our thumbs in our pancakes making little we're making syrup holes all of you guys are at the pancake depot you're sitting down Lorleen delwood comes she passes out menus to everybody and she says you know y'all want your usual we all just kind of yeah. look at each other and just like nod our heads. This American Monster is a production of This American Dice. This American Monster uses the Monster of the Week system. A game published by Evil Hat Productions and by Michael Sands. Sundry Charms is Lee. Chase Welker is Carl. Darkblade69 is Alex. Ashton Green is David. And your Game Master is Austin Smith. Our theme song is by Patrick Ross. It's called Sinlu. Thank you, everybody. That's a wrap for This American Monster. That was our big finale. I want to thank everybody involved. I want to thank everybody for making this come together. On a more serious note, I do really want to thank everybody for being involved. This was one of our more ambitious projects that we tackled, and uh, I'm very glad that we did it. We recorded this game... Um, and had all of the stuff put together before I really started editing all that much and the entire game was recorded before even the first episode started coming out so if you'll you'll notice some things that were uh uh interesting that kind of lined up with certain events at some point in the fourth mystery carl was talking about uh um, some things that i just connect to contact tracing that was like at the very height of the covid pandemic stuff so a lot of things kind of lined up in this interesting way and were uh, interesting as uh, they were recorded and then had the meaning of them had changed at times. Um, the music for this episode included Tend to It by Osiris Saline, Sundry's last song, guitar by Ron Ernest and Steve Arthur with vocals by Austin Smith. It was an homage to Spiritual by Johnny Cash. Sad Songs Part 1, Bells by Fake Cats Project, Brush Bells in the Wind by Daniel Birch, Glacier Bells also by Daniel Birch, who's got a real bell thing, Sundry Song, uh, the, the, the first one, lyrics and vocals by Austin Smith and Alex Ernest with music by Ron Ernest. Um, additional voices included Steve Arthur as Shane Meridu and Alex Ernest as Anastasia, Anastasia Ruiz Johnson as well as uh, just a line or so from Marisa Quijano Sirwa as Jessica Lore. Um, so thank you guys for listening to all this stuff. A lot of, uh, a lot of work went into this game um, and a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of mental power as well. There were some times where we had some real serious... Um, hiccups there were times where uh like right after 
the second or third session, maybe the third session, uh, Dave and I, David and I really got into it about the the rules and how the rules were supposed to work within the game, and we almost stopped playing because of like a significant disagreement about how that was going to work and how the two of us viewed that affecting the narrative. And um, for a minute, I legitimately thought we were just done with it. Later on, as we got into the finale, um, some like narrative differences and differences over like character arcs and that kind of thing came up uh, about uh, Lee's character and how he saw that character working in this way and whether he felt he was getting kind of pigeonholed into something and what he could or couldn't do. Um, so we also had something interesting go on, which was, as you may have noticed, not everyone was present for all of the mysteries. Um, Lee had his first kid in the second mystery, so Sundry just wasn't there, and David was getting married in the fourth, during the fourth mystery, so then Ashton just isn't there. And this game, actually, it worked out kind of in an interesting way. Um, but yeah. This game was, this game was a, a, a big deal for us, and I'm hoping that we, uh, I'm hoping you guys who listened enjoyed it, and I'm hoping that uh, we can keep making something that you'll want to listen to and that we'll enjoy creating. Um, for a long time, we had always talked about these games. Um, and I've always felt that it's kind of a, at times, role-playing games are not the world's best uh, activity. Because it's almost like doing improv um for just the people in the improv group, just the people performing it. And when you can record it and put it out there for people, you've at least created something. It does really change what you're doing because now you have to ask yourself, not only am I having fun, is this cool to me, but will anyone else give a shit about listening to this? And I, well, I know the answer for the most part is no, please stop telling me about this. Um, I'm a coworker of yours and I'm not interested in looking up this podcast. Uh, I though there are people who do enjoy it. I'm one of the folks who listens to a lot of these a lot of these games, uh, these actual plays. So thank you guys so much. And uh, now for what we've all been waiting for, some more jokes. Mr. Heck participated in the insurrection, Jessica. <laughs> That's who you're dealing with. That's how we get those viewers. Yeah. Yeah. You pull up like on your phone a YouTube video and he's in the crowd. Like, You're like, whoa, there he is. He live tweeted his participation. He's got a he's holding a flag that says don't hell on me. And you're like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have what she's he's having. <laughs> she hoists up her skirt and pisses on all of you and says, like, all right, here you go. And you guys are like, Yeah, give no, me the usual. It. That was Sundry's usual. Yeah. Okay. No, instead of the Mountain Dew, I'll have a vitamin water or whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. designed to signal your character change. Code yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, vitamin water. Sorry. And then Virgil comes over and he pisses on you guys, and he's like, "There's the vitamin yeah. water." Yes, yeah, it's, it's full of sediment yeah. and like salt crystals. Yeah. yeah, and a deer comes over and licks your face after <laughs> he's pissed on you. We will you get dog tags? Yeah, uh, I don't know about that. That's the question I don't know. But I, I think that's likely. Will they have a star of David on them? 
Huh, I don't know. Because if you're blown know. up in war, people will need to know how to deal with your remains. And depending on what symbol you put on there, that'll affect how they deal with them. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to play a, a full season of Seinfeld when I'm when I try <laughs> to put on it. Um, <laughs> that was good, man. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I could see someone who had been part of these adventures being at this funeral and being like, wait, this is bullshit. Sundry's in hell. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's yeah. not in heaven. Why is she talking about heaven? He's in hell. Yeah, it's like we could verify he is definitely <laughs> in hell. Like, he's not pleased with this. Oh, maybe a that's bad a, woman, like a bag well, lady, you know. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's a description of the difference between organized religion versus like actual uh, supernatural shit. Yeah, like everyone goes to hell in real life, and mm-hmm. organized religion pretends otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And end of the game. Good luck, audience. Any other additional criticisms you want to get on? Uh, you guys want to get on tape? I feel like the Pringles cans are a lot smaller than they used to be. Like, do you notice that the chips themselves are maybe like 80% the size they were a few years ago? I've noticed. It's harder to get your hand in there. I haven't eaten Pringles in a long time. And I'm not saying that as a brag. I'm saying that as like a, huh, fuck, I haven't. You're a lost man. That is, honestly. Pringles, I used to fucking love Pringles. And you know why I love Pringles? Because they were... In my opinion, can more consistently the same flavor, and that's not true. They were more consistent. They were consistently the same shape, and that oh, yeah. was the thing that I liked. As yeah. a patented design, I liked that it was the shape that was the same yeah. all the time. The texture experience, the mouthfeel was much mm-hmm. more consistent. It was in character as Dan Pringle. Dan Pringle, and he's like, it's actually Darian Pringle. Yeah, you're right. He's actually changed his name entirely. He took his wife's name. He was mm-hmm. too embarrassed. His wife's name. And he's like, you're right. My name's Darian Green, and he's married to Ash's mom. Darian. <laughs> go, Wildcats. Go, Wildcats. Go, Wildcats. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, ho, ho, ho. oh, yeah, ah, me. oh, yes, no. <laughs>